So we're going to get into James this morning. Are we ready for James? How are we doing with James? Do we like the book of James? It's a good book, right? It's tough. I got to tell you, it's not going to get any easier this morning, all right? So we're just going to um, jump in. We're at the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look at these, these verses right now, starting with uh, James 4, 13 through 5, 6. Let me read it to you. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Thus ends the reading of the word. <laughs> if you're visiting this morning, I'm sure you're thinking, maybe I have somewhere else to be. This is, this is not exactly an upper of a passage. Um, and not only that, but if you are new this morning, you have had the terrible luck of showing up on the day the pastor is going to talk about money. And even if you're not new, I'm sorry, but you're here, and, and it'd be awkward for you to leave now, so you're going you're gonna to hear it. But, you know, pastors and churches get a bad rap when it comes to talking about money, right? Sometimes it's well-deserved. Churches are known to press on giving and make guilt trip you kind of to give a little bit more and play this, you know, the music and all of that, and, and um, you know, it's... It's something that sometimes we are guilty of doing, of, of really being focused on the money and giving of money. But here's an interesting fact. You deal with money almost every day of your life. I mean, is there barely a day that goes by that you don't buy something? I mean, if it's not just a cup of coffee or some gas for your car or some meat at the grocery store on your way home for dinner, um, you know, even something online, how many days go by and even if you have some days that go by where you don't buy something that way, we still are constantly paying rent, tuition, car payments, health, and health insurance. All that stuff is flowing out from our bank account every single month. Am I right? And not only that, money's flowing in, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Some money's flowing in if you have any kind of job. You know, some money is coming in. Um, I assume most of you don't go to work just out of the goodness of your heart. You go because money's coming back to you from that, those hours that you spend at work. And so money is flowing in and out of your life almost continuously. Have you ever thought about that? It's, it's a part of your everyday life. So why wouldn't God be just as concerned about your money as anything else? Why wouldn't God have something to say about it? He would care quite a bit about it. And in fact, he does. Scriptures, I've heard it said, I haven't counted, but I've heard it said that the scriptures, there are 2,000, more than 2,000 verses about money in the Bible. 
Now, I wouldn't, like I said, I haven't counted, but that sounds about right. There's a lot of verses in the Bible about money. So we shouldn't be surprised or afraid to talk about money in church, okay? We shouldn't be. And also, we should not separate that part of our life from the rest of our spirituality. See, we're, we have an easy time thinking about our spirituality when it comes to, like, my heart and my anxieties and my fears and my relationships. Like, we, we don't mind getting God into that space, Right? But when it comes into my space of how big is my house and which car should I buy and how much money I want to make and what my career should be, well, that's kind of my part, right? That's, that's kind of the thing that I want to take care of the way I think it should go. I remember in college, um, you know, I was, I was a believer. I'd been a believer a couple of years by that time. Um, and I remember somebody, and I was really into it. Like, I loved the Lord. I'd just really gotten saved and really just, you know, loved the Lord, loved ministry already at that point. And somebody said to me, have you ever thought of going into ministry? And I just laughed. I mean, I just outright laughed. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, why would I do that? Like, I was a computer science major. I was making money in technology. You know what I'm saying? My parents sent me to the school to make money, to get a career. Like, no, you know, I love Jesus, and I was all about Jesus and all that, but this was my career. They did not meet in my mind at that point. I just couldn't even fathom it that I would change what I would do according to something that God might say. So we tend to be a little worldly when it comes to our money and our finances and our bank accounts and investments and careers and so on. And so here's, here's what I want to say to you first of all. I want to put your mind at ease that this morning I am not going to beg you to give money to Gate City Vineyard. Sorry, Tim, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> We'll, we'll leave that for another day. No, we, 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 I'm not going to beg you to do that. We're not going to have the music play softly at the end of the service while we pass a plate around. We're not going to do any of that, okay? That's not my goal this morning to get you to give to Gate City Vineyard. I have a bigger goal. The bigger goal is that we would get money off the throne of our life, that we would begin to see God's way with our money, that what God wants us to do with our money to help us to get real. Say, get real. We're getting real in James because James is all about doing what you say you believe in every part of our life. That there's nothing out limits to him. Not your 401k, not your savings plan, not your health care plan, not your career. It's all his and we want to be consistent. We want to have God be Lord over all of it. That's the goal. So that's what I, I want to inspire you this morning to see God about your life in every practical detail when it comes to your money and your finances and your careers. Amen? Amen? You with me? So one of the goals here, as I said, is to take that money and wealth off the throne of our lives, the pursuit of money and success. Chuck Swindoll is a theologian and pastor, many of you I'm sure uh, have heard of him, and he has a great commentary on James, and he tells this little story about riches and fame when he's talking about this passage. He says, in 1923, an elite group of businessmen met at the luxurious Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. The roster included some of the most influential, famous, and wealthy moguls of the early 20th century. These men were among them, and here's the list. Charles Schwab, president of Bethlehem Steel Corporation, Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange, Albert Fall, secretary of the interior under President Harding, Jesse Livermore, Wall Street tycoon, and Ivor, Ivar Kruger, head of a global monopoly of match manufacturers. 
And about these men, it says, these heavy hitters controlled more wealth than the total assets of the United States Treasury at the time. Surely these men would become models of the entrepreneurial spirit and stellar examples of financial success. Fast forward about 25 years and look back on the courses of their lives. Schwab died $300,000 in debt in 1939. Whitney served time at Sing Sing Prison for embezzlement. Falls served time for misconduct in office, leaving behind a ruined reputation. Livermore committed suicide in 1940, describing himself as a failure, and Kruger shot himself in 1932 after his global monopoly collapsed. And Swindoll goes on to say, buried beneath the rubble of humiliation, defeat, crime, sickness, and financial collapse, these men, along with a number of their colleagues, died in a depressing, pitiable condition. Their wealth, power, and prestige did nothing to soothe the personal anxiety and guilt they suffered in life. Talk about a mist that vanishes, right? If that isn't an example of what James says, who, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. And our lives are short. And these examples show how a life with the wealth and money and success on the throne of our life is going to come up empty, 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 empty. And you know what? You don't need to be a millionaire for that to be true. We can have money on the throne of our life whether we have $10 million or $10. Am I right? It can be on the throne of our life. It can be all we think about even if we got nothing in the bank because we just want, more, we want to get something in the bank. So this is how can we, we, it is of a vital importance that we take our wealth and our ambitions, our money, whether we have a lot or little, our plans, our possessions, our cars, our houses, our careers, and we ask Jesus, you are the Lord of my whole life. How would you have me regard these possessions and resources I have? How would you have me use them? And how would you have me think about them? Can we just take a moment and, and bring that question before God. Lord, how would you have me use these possessions I have, and how would you have me think about them? So this morning what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this opportunity in this passage to talk about the principles of, of wealth and, and money and success in the Scripture uh, in, that, that God talks about. And I'm going to branch out, I'm going to tell you just a little bit from James, from what we're talking about in James. It springs from this passage in James, but I'm going to go a little bit broader to talk about what I'm going to call this morning a practical theology of money and wealth, okay? So we're going to, we're going to get a little bit of a theology here, but it'll be brief. There are mountains of books on this subject. You know, I can only just sort of touch on it, but I want to give you five major principles that we find throughout Scripture that will help us to ground us and get that money off the throne of our lives. So the first, these are the five principles. Tithe faithfully, give generously, obtain it justly, steward it wisely, and maybe most importantly of all, don't count on it. All right, so we're going to go through that, and, we're gonna, and I'm going to be going through a lot of scripture, okay? So just put on your seatbelts, all right? We're going we're gonna to get into the word today. There's also a sheet on the back. If you didn't get it on the way in, you can get it on the way out. You don't need it for the sermon, but it's, all, it's a whole bunch more scriptures on money and wealth. It's just fascinating to look at what the Lord says a lot. He says a lot about, about this. So let's just start with number one, tithe faithfully. And any discussion of money in the Bible has to start with this one truth. All our money is God's. All of it. I want you to say, all my money is God's. Say it. 
Say it again with, with conviction. All of it. The stuff in your pocket, stuff in your savings account. And you might say, well, wait a minute, I earned it. Didn't I earn it? Well, here's what the Bible says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's all his. Not only that, in Deuteronomy 8, it says that God gave you the ability to produce wealth. You say, well, I worked hard for that. Well, you did, but who gave you the brain that you use that helped you figure out the things you need to figure out to make the money that you make? Who gave you the place where you were born? You didn't come up with that. This country in which you were born, the opportunities that were around you, the schools that you went to, it's the Lord gives us the ability to produce wealth. And it's all God's. Say that again. All my money is God's. So God has every right to take every penny of it back. <laughs> and you think, oh, well, he wouldn't do that. Well, he did ask it of somebody. If you remember in the Gospels, there was a rich young man, rich young ruler, who came to him and said, I've done all these things. I'm, you know, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, give away everything you, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And how did, how did he feel about that? <laughs> Not so happy, right? Now, everybody always says that the rich young ruler didn't do it. I like to believe that he walked away initially sad, but then was convicted in his heart because he loved Jesus and he actually did it. That's what I, my, my narrative, we don't know that from scripture, but I like to believe that he did it. Jesus had every right to ask for every penny. It's good for us to remember that. But most of the time, thankfully, God doesn't require that we give every penny directly to him. It's all his, of course. But there's a principle in Scripture, which is that while we live on some of it, one of our acts of worship and love toward God and thanks to him is to bring him a tithe, a portion of what's already his. It's, it's worship. It's a way of acknowledging this is God's money, not mine. All of it is, and I'm giving this portion to him. And we bring the first fruits. That means the best to him. And the idea of 10%, of course, originates way back in Genesis when uh, Abraham is, is, uh, is dealing with the Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. And he's won a battle and, in, and kind of um, giving back to God for this and to this priest, he gives 10%, says he gives 10% to Melchizedek of all that he won. And then, of course, the practice was continued by the nation of Israel through a system of sacrifices. People would bring their livestock, they would bring their um, their harvest, and they would bring it to God, this tithe. And these sacrifices were, were brought to the temple and sacrificed at the temple. Now, the reality is this also helped support the temple. Like, this is what the priests lived on. They, they ate that food that was brought. They, you know, this was how the temple process was supported, but that's not how the people thought about it, and that's not how the Scripture talks about it. It is the Lord's. It's a gift to the Lord. It's worship to God. The fact that it supported the temple is sort of secondary. It's the Lord's. And so the Lord is offended if they don't bring the tithe. That's how we know that. So we go to Malachi 3.8. It says this, Will a, a mere mortal rob God? And yet you rob me. This is Malachi speaking the words of God. He says, But you ask, How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Yes, see, it's an, an, it's an affront to God not to bring the full tithe to him because it's worship. 
to him. And I believe that God blesses us when we bring him the full tithe, when we bring him. Reminds us that everything we have is God's. And not only that, we don't give the seconds, but we give the first fruits, right? We give the best. Earlier in Malachi, he rebukes the people because they, they start bringing the tithe, but they brought the crummy stuff to God. <laughs> he says, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Bring in, you know, I won't miss this sheep, so I'll bring that one. Use that as a sacrifice to God. I won't notice this one's gone. I'll give this one. Exodus 34, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil, of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. And I think we sometimes fall into this. It's sometimes it is easy for us to bring our seconds, the things we won't miss, to God. We used to have a joke in my old church that what do people do when they have an old couch that they don't want in their living anymore, room anymore because it's shabby and out of date, what do they do with it? They donate it to the church. <laughs> Gee, thanks. <laughs> and we think we're doing a good thing. Why wouldn't we buy a brand new couch for the church? Just thought. I mean, why wouldn't we give the best? We give it to ourselves, right? Why wouldn't we give the best. This is what they're talking about here. And this is all Old Testament, so you might say, well, this doesn't count now. We're under New Covenant. We don't need to do that. Well, Jesus affirms the tithe. In Matthew 23, he says this. Woe, he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, so they were tithing, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So he's saying we definitely should walk in love and mercy, but we also shouldn't neglect the tithe. We shouldn't neglect what is giving back to God what is his. Giving back to God, his church, and his temple. Now, of course, practically speaking, if you gave a tithe, if you during the offering time put something in there or, or text something in, that money goes to support this temple. <laughs> it pays my salary, the other staff here. It pays for the lights and the, the heat and it pays for the equipment and the ministries that we put on here. It certainly does pay that. But again, that is not the attitude of giving. It's giving to the Lord. It's worship. When you give of a tithe, and I've tried to say it, Lisa said it so well, we get, it's worship to give a tithe to the Lord. Yeah. And I just, I, I have to put it aside here to just say that when you do give to Gate City Vineyard, we are very aware that it is an offering to God. We take it so seriously. The leadership, Tim, and the board, so seriously, what you give is an offering to God, and so it is, we are under God's authority and God's judgment if we don't use it properly and for his work and for his kingdom. So we always have said that we are an open book here. If you ever want to know where that money goes, we will show you. We, we don't need to wait till an annual meeting for that. But it's a gift of, to God. It's an act of worship. For Paul and me, this, this idea of giving the first and best to God has been something that has had a practical outworking for us our whole lives long before I was ever you know, being paid by a church. Um, for us, it meant that before taxes, before we paid our mortgage, before we paid off any loans, before we, you know, bought the thing that we needed, before any of that, we just took 10% off the top and we gave it to God. And we gave it to his church. We just did it. And we did this even when we were just starting out and early married and we had no money. <laughs> and it was hard. You're like, ooh, I could use those, like, those dollars, right? We just said, no, we're going to start this this way. 
That's how we're gonna start. And I really believe that when we start with obedience, and even if we haven't started with obedience, if we continue with obedience now, that God will bring a blessing. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's not, but there's always a blessing associated with doing things God's way. So that's, that's the first principle, tithe faithfully. That's the scriptural principle God wants us to know from the scripture. Now the second one you might think is a repeat, but it's not, and it's give generously. This is the idea of all, what sometimes is called almsgiving. And it's actually different from tithing. tithing. They are both coming from the love of the Lord. But one is an act of worship directly to God. The other is an act of compassion for those who are in need. And it's giving. Now, sometimes it can be through the same vehicle, right? Sometimes when you give through Gate City Vineyard, some of it goes out to help the poor and the needy and those that are in, in need. But sometimes not. It's, it's a way of allowing our hearts to be softened to the needs around us and to give generously. And that's why sometimes we might even say, give to this need above and beyond your tithe because this is, it's something different. It's a different kind of giving. It's giving of alms. It's a giving to those specifically in our need. And the Hebrew word for this is a very rich um, concept in Judaism, actually, because it's, it's, it's very Old Testament. It's, um, the, the Hebrew word that's often used for this is tzedakah. And tzedakah is the act of righteousness that comes from giving. So it's, it's that it's, it is an act of justice and righteousness to give to those who have need. So they're linked together. It's our duty to do it. It's right and just. And in Jewish tradition, this is considered as one of the most important things that we can do because it's a way of, of bringing goodness and shalom to God's world. It's like a social justice that we do with our own our own resources, and it's part of our worship to God. It's part of righteousness. Psalm 37, 21 says, the righteous give generously. This is, this is the essence of Zedekah. It's righteousness and giving, generous giving, like two sides of the same coin. It's a way of bringing justice and righting the inequalities in the world. We're to bring shalom through our actions. This is very Jamesian. <laughs> This is very James-like, right? Because it is in our action, we are showing the righteousness that we say we have. We're showing it by the way our heart breaks for those who are in need. And so we give generously to those who are in need. And this could be, again, through a church. It could be through an outside charity. It might just be the money that you take out of your wallet and you give to the homeless person that's, that you pass in the street. It's all about the heart that we give out of the love of God in our heart and of our compassion and mercy toward others. 1 Timothy 6 puts it this way, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So it's in this way that God is encouraging us throughout the Bible to kind of right the inequities in life. This is not a rebuke of capitalism. He says the poor you're always going to have with you, the wealthy you'll always have. I mean, it's, it's not that there's going to be a utopia. It's not a form of economic system. It's, a, it's about compassion. It's about am I willing to take some of what I have and help someone who has need without judgment but out of love? Can we be part of that? It's bringing shalom. And it's a word for every one of us, whether we have a lot or a little. Whether we have a little and we just give a little to help someone, we have a lot. Some of us feel like, well, 10%'s it, then the rest is all mine. You know what? Some of us have enough that we could be giving 20 or 30, 
This word is for all of us that we would have God's heart for those who are in need and be part of bringing God's shalom, God's peace into the world. All right, amen. So let's go to the third one. Obtain it justly. So we've talked about tithing faithfully, giving generously. The third one is probably most talked about in Scripture, and that's obtain it justly. You better make sure the way you get this money is not oppressing people, is not beating down on people, is not earning mother's money at others' expense. Um, the Bible condemns that over and over and over again. You look in the prophets especially. Boy, he comes against those who are oppressing the poor. We read it in James this morning, the passage that we read. And sometimes we think, well, it doesn't matter how I get the money as long as I tithe some of it or give some of it to God. God makes it clear that he does not want your money if you earn it by oppressing others. By unethical means, he doesn't want it. So, you know, it was easy in Bible days to see this, right? Because people, there, was, there, were, there were just a few very wealthy and lots of very, very poor people, right? So you could see the oppression that would go on, the extortion, the money at, at knife point, throwing people in jail if they didn't have the money. You know, and I'm, I'm assuming, you know, we don't have that problem here this morning. I haven't seen too many of you, like, you know, holding up people and robbing them of their money. Hopefully that's not something that you're doing uh, to get your money uh, today. If you are, that's something we can talk about later. But... Um, you know, we do need to think about this in our more complicated world today, right? If you're in any kind of business, it is look, worth looking into deeply. And I know this maybe doesn't apply to too many of us today, but we should really look at our businesses and how they're making money. Are they using overseas labor that might be in slave-like conditions? Are we making money that in any way oppresses other people or takes away from others? Are we... Um, is our business making money by destroying the environment or taking away uh, our public health? We need to know how the money we make is being made. We're responsible for that. And, you know, even more personally, do we fudge a little bit on our taxes so we get a little bit more back? Now I know I'm really getting in everybody's skin. But let's be sure that we are obtaining the money that is in our pockets, that's in our bank accounts, that we are obtaining it justly. In such a way that I were to stand before God and say, this is how these pennies came in, and I wouldn't be ashamed to say. To those who have been given much, much is required. Isaiah, I just want to skip ahead to Isaiah 3, 4 to 5, 14 to 15. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Each of us has that responsibility to know where our money is coming from and that it would honor God in the way we've obtained it. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's move on. Steward it wisely. This is getting a little more positive. That is, if you have money, if you have some wealth, if you have a little bit in your bank account, rejoice. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> um, wealth that's obtained rightly as a result of hard work and, and use of your gifts and talents and sometimes a little bit of good fortune and, and, and a little luck and, and all of that is a blessing from God. And so we need to thank him for it. We can enjoy it. Um, and let's steward it well. Save for difficult times, give and care for your family, 
work hard so you won't be a burden to others. Be like the ant who saves up in the summer and so that they has food in the winter. There's no praise in the Bible for who, people who are lazy and don't earn. And there's also no praise for people who just spend it and spend it and spend it and spend it and don't have when the need comes around. And I, you know, I mentioned unexpected breaks because sometimes, sometimes we do get money through through no work of our own. Even the Bible talks about this. I was, I was amazed to find this little verse, Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. So sometimes God just brings a blessing. Um, and so we should just acknowledge that and receive it with joy too. My son Matthew works, he lives out in Portland, and one of his coworkers just told him that uh, he's leaving. And he said he's leaving because he came into some money. And so he's going to take off from work and take a few months off and enjoy himself and figure out what he really wants to do with his life. And so my son and his girlfriend are sitting around and they're like, how can we come into some money? <laughs> like, how does that work? <laughs> like, who do we have to know? Like, how, that sounds great, right? Like, that happens, doesn't it? Once in a while. Sounds amazing. So whether we have a lot, whether we have a little, whether we came into it through the, the sweat of our brow or whether we had some inheritance or privilege that got some money in our bank account, no matter what, we're called to steward it well. It's still God's money. All our money is his, right? Yeah. Say it again. All my money is God's. I think we've got to remember that. It's all his. But let's use it well. Um, some things to remember in stewardship. I don't have all those scriptures written up here, but I will just read them out for you. Not wasting it and investing it well, Proverbs 21, 20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but the fools gulp theirs down. Being trustworthy and honest, Luke 16. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be also trusted with much. Care for your family and the people who rely on you. This is in scripture. We need to make sure we're caring for our family. The Proverbs 13, 22 says a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And 1 Timothy 5.8 says anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Amazing, right? So we have a responsibility. And finally, be generous and merciful. Ezekiel 16.49 Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excessive food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. So let's be good stewards. Let's be good stewards. So we've talked about tithing faithfully, giving generously, obtaining it justly, stewarding it wisely, but most important of all, don't count on it. Don't count on your money. I feel like we need to read James' words again from chapter 4, where he says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to that city or this city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, while you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. This is probably the most insidious part about wealth, having a little bit, even a little bit of a cushion in your, in your bank account, is that we grow just a little bit arrogant. We feel like we have control of our life. Um... We think we deserve the latest iPhone and the fanciest car. And we boast, and James says, all such boasting is evil. Part of the problem with wealth is it makes us feel kind of invincible um, and mortal. And also, because of this attitude, it also makes us feel as though money is the answer, so that when we don't have a lot, all we can think about is getting more money. How many of you have ever thought to yourself, if I only had X amount of money in the bank, I'd stop worrying? Has anybody ever said that? 
I just need X amount. Or how about this one? If I only had X amount of money in the bank, then I could start giving. Or if my husband or wife would only get a job and bring in X amount of money, then we'd finally be secure. Anybody ever had those thoughts? But what happens then? What happens when we get a little bit more? Then we think, well, I just need a little bit more. Just a little more. Then I'll really feel good. Then I'll really stop worrying. I'll get just a little bit more. You know what? Millionaires talk about being worried about having enough money. You're never going to have enough to not worry about it if money is on the throne of your life, if you're counting on your money for your security. It's so easy, so easy to make money an idol, ascribing a power and a worth to it that it does not deserve. And Jesus is real strong on this one in Luke 16. He says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Calls out money there. So it's, it's a question for us to ask ourselves in all honesty before God. If someone were to look at your life and what you think about, what you focus on, would they say you're serving God or serving money? What are you worried about? What are you obsessing over? You're a mist. We cannot count on our money, our success, or our businesses. We're a mist. Two wonderful verses about this that I want to bring you here. 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 10. Those who want to get rich, and I know we all want to get rich. It'd be so nice to be rich, right? But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's what we saw with that list of businessmen, right, from the, from the 20th century. For the love of money is a root, a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, not all, but some eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And finally, Proverbs 23, 4 to 5, almost, almost a repeat of what James says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Great image, right? So true. So five principles, tithe faithfully, give generously, obtain it justly, steward it wisely, and don't count on it. Don't count on it. James ends with this important phrase, if the Lord's will, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. We will get freedom in our finances when we finally realize that God is in control of everything and we can trust him, that he is Jehovah Jireh, the provider so the, some of you I know this morning are thinking, I can't even think about riches because I don't even know where my next paycheck's coming from. I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent this month. So how can I even think about all of this? And I want you to just know that God knows that he is Jehovah Jireh. Why did he put all these verses about money in the Bible if it wasn't to say, I care about this part of your life? And I care about it if you have a lot of it, and I want to make sure you, you do the right thing with that. But I also care about it if you're struggling and need just a little bit. I know. I know, and God is going to care for you. He's going to come through. I've seen it over and over again. Paul and I could tell you story after story, and you can see it in stories of missionaries and all kinds of people, how God comes through when you think it's over. Sometimes it's through the body of Christ. If you're struggling, don't, share, don't suffer alone. 
come talk to one of us in the leadership and we, we can help. We can help in small ways. But God is your gyra, your provider. And he will come through when we trust him, when we start to follow his principles. We take worry out of our life when we take money out of the center of our life. And I want to close with this passage, this uh, quote from Tim Keller. He's a respected pastor and theologian, and he has a devotional on Proverbs, which just as it would happen, I'm going through it this year, just as it would happen, all the verses, all the passages for this last two weeks have been on money. <laughs> so God knew I was going to be talking about this. And uh, he says this, and I, and I love this. The only true solution to the power of money over you is to see yourself rich in Christ. In him we are rich toward God. Riches on earth bring some short-lived status. But we are children of the king of the universe. Riches on earth bring some security. But in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called. Riches on earth may bring power, but we will rule with Christ. Amen. Christ has paid the only debt that could destroy us. Hear that. No debt on earth, no matter how great, can destroy you. Christ has paid the only debt that could destroy us, which makes all other debts inconsequential. Hear this, church. In Christ, you are truly rich. Every one of you is rich this morning. Every one of you is rich in Christ. And so with that knowledge and conviction... Lord, with a full belief that we have all we need in Christ alone, may we place every business decision, every career plan, every savings account, every new job taken, every investment made, every bank balance, every promotion at work, every purchase of any value, may we place it in submission to God's will and in his hands. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. All my money is God. Say it. It's all his. Lord, we trust you. In the scarcity and in the abundance, Lord, we trust you. And so I just want us to close our eyes for a moment here and just receive what God has given you in this message. There's something that he has placed on your heart. Maybe an area in which you need to trust God with your finances. Maybe a way in which you're meant to be more generous. Maybe there's some practices in your business you want to look into a little bit. Maybe you want to start to try to tithe and see what happens. Maybe you're a little nervous about that. But God, we just want to take a moment and say we trust you. Trust you, Lord. It's all yours, Lord. We don't want this part of our life to have rule over us. We want to drag it off the throne where we have put money as our security, where we have put the bank account as our comfort. We drag it off the throne, drag it down. We're thankful, Lord, for what you've provided. But we want you on the throne of our life, God. You and you alone.
We're going into a time of communion. And I'm reminded of the statement that I just read, that Christ has paid the only debt that could destroy us, which makes all our other debts inconsequential. So this morning, as we remember you paying our debt, dying on the cross for our sin, reconciling us to yourself, Lord, we both trust you with our, our worldly possessions, our finances, but we also trust you with our soul. That we're a new creation in Christ. I want to share with you that at the Vineyard Conference a couple weeks ago, um, there was a focus on the gospel of the kingdom on the third day. The first day was on presence and power. The second day was on justice. And the third day was on the gospel. And um, Rich Nathan's pastor of Vineyard Columbus, and he spoke for a bit. It was great. And he talked about the gospel. What is the gospel, you know? And he talked about it's the good news, right? Um, promised by God through the prophets. But he says the gospel of the kingdom is larger and more comprehensive than just the forgiveness of sins. It's God working to restore the entire universe, restoring mental health, physical health, reconciling marriages, breaking down walls. He's come to heal our bodies and our minds, our cities and our environment, and restore us with the holy God. He said, but the message of the forgiveness of sins is at the center of all of that. He was reminding us as pastors to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. Because all of the other restoration that we hope to do, the, 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 the hands and feet and the light of Jesus we hope to be in our communities and with one another has to center and start with the forgiveness of sins, with us being reconciled to God. Every one of us needs to be reconciled to God. So I want to invite you as we come to prayer and as we come to communion, to be sure that you personally are reconciled to God, not your wife, not your husband, not your kid, not your parent. Have you asked Jesus to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins? Have you said, I believe in you, Jesus, and I want to walk with you? This is an opportunity to do that as we come into a time of communion. And for those of you who have this is an opportunity yet again to be re-reconciled to God. We don't have to be saved over again, but we still need to be forgiven of our sins. We still need to lay down our idols before him. So let's just take a moment and prepare our hearts. I'm invite the communion servers to come forward. The communion table is not the table of Gate City Vineyard Church or even the table of Vineyard the table of Jesus Christ. So you're invited to partake. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is a celebration for you to take with the body of Christ that's here in this room today. We do have gluten-free options for those who need that. 
I'm going to invite you in a moment to come forward and to receive. You're welcome to come and to, to kneel at the altar if, you, if that would help you to connect with him, to, to rec- be reconciled to God. You could sit on the, on the rug. You can come forward to the tables on the side and receive prayer. But I encourage you to take just the top off and just take the bread in your own time. As the Lord is speaking to you, just prepare your heart and take that. That's a symbol of your own personal walk with Christ, that you have received him personally as your Lord and Savior, and that he saves you. There's no grandchildren in God's kingdom. You're his child. You're his precious child. But hold on to the cup, and we're going to take that together as a body when everyone has received. The night in which he was betrayed, the Lord took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. Please come forward for communion. We are people of faith. So to receive from Jesus is an act of faith that we take together. Believing that what he did on the cross brings us new life, brings us forgiveness. And believing that in all things, not just in our spiritual life, but in our practical life, in every area of our lives, in our finances, in our health, with our families, with our jobs, that he is Lord, that he loves us, he is our provider. And so this morning, as we receive of the blood of Jesus this morning, may it fill us with hope. His forgiveness is not just for our souls, but it's for our lives, for all of our lives. So in Jesus' name, let us drink together.